Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. My name is Spencer. He's Dr. Bob. How you doing, Dr. Bob? I'm really good. People should know that whenever we start this, we look at each other and smile. We do. We're just, yeah, we're always looking forward to it. I'm chomping at the bit to get going. We got a lot of stuff to cover today. First of all, a lot of college graduates that matriculate in the state of Iowa, decide to leave pretty soon after they graduate, which is not new news necessarily, but we'll discuss that. Also big news over the past week, of course, last legislative session, they relaxed a lot of rules on hiring teenagers and how late they can work and what they can and can't do. And while a lot of this stuff was still illegal, there was big news out of Northeast Iowa hiring kids to clean meat packing equipment, which is not legal, but still it seems to me that the legislature is pretty much fine with that. Right, and they'd already lowered the age for kids to be doing dangerous jobs last legislative session, so I mean, that's just fine. Yeah, for them it's fine. South Carolina primary took place over the weekend, so we'll recap that. Also, The Republican National Committee is going to have a new chairperson after Super Tuesday. So next week, Ronna McDaniel, formerly Ronna McDaniel Romney, uh, will no longer have that seat. And there's a lot of intrigue in why she's gone. Donald Trump is probably going to be selecting who he wants most in that chair. And so he's just consolidating more power. Tyler Perry of Medea fame, also just a famous actor, director, producer, etc., He has put his plans for a big new studio in the Atlanta area, uh, at least on hold for now. And it's because of AI, possibly. Some of it might be because of AI, so we'll discuss that. And also last time, it's been a little while, but we did top five people as athletes. This week, it's top five worst people that are also athletes. So that'll be at the end of the show. All right, let's get into from KCCI. Colleges in Iowa are seeing more students look for opportunities out of state after they graduate, according to a report from the National Bureau of Economic Research. The report found that Iowa has the 10th highest rate of college graduates leaving the state once they receive their degree. State Senator Eric Giddens, a Democrat from Black Hawk County, talked to a group of students at the University of Northern Iowa to find out why. He said jobs and career opportunities were big factors students shared for looking out of state. Politics was another factor. He said students want lawmakers to create opportunities rather than tackle divisive social issues, quoting Giddens. Whether there's diversity, equity, and inclusion, we had a big bill during the interim last year in a special session about women's reproductive health care. These sorts of very divisive social topics are not things our young people are interested in. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's, uh, I mean, Minnesota's begging for our teachers, come on up here, we'll pay you more. Um, It's interesting the Republicans are talking about higher starting salaries for teachers, but that first they put them in the AEA bill, which was, you know, sort of a bone to throw at the teachers. It's interesting. They have done that, but teachers are are all, you know, nervous. They don't even know what they can teach. I have a music teacher that, you know, is saying, can I even teach, uh, you know, like spirituals, you know? And, you know, and I know there's people that think, well, you shouldn't be doing that in public schools anyway, but the fact of the matter is it does happening. It's part of the... It's part of history and whatever sure. they want to do, that's fine. But they're worried about it. And, uh, you know, teaching history. They're worried about what they can teach about history. And I saw a really interesting thing on um, 
oh, Instagram, I believe it was, was a short little video by Tom Hanks talking about the Tulsa massacre. And he's saying, why had I never heard about that? Why was I never taught that? Why did I have to be 54 years old to learn about that? Destroying a black community of very, people driven out of their town, burning it down. You know, by Talking white about people. Black yeah. Wall Street, basically. Yeah, Black Wall Street. Yeah. Why isn't that part of our history? Well, it'll never be part of our history if Republicans have their way to, you know, their way. I mean, they've already legislated against that kind of thing and other kinds of, you know, what they call divisive concepts, which to me are things that you learn from. You don't whitewash everything. So, anyway, good for Tom Hanks. Um, but, I mean, it really points out the, the problems, and all of our teachers are nervous. And some of them are just to the point where, they're just going to do their thing, and if they get fired, then so be it. But there's, you know, in our small towns, our teach, and I presume in the big cities, but I don't know, our teachers are beloved. Yeah. They start coming after some of our teachers with deep roots in our community. There's going to be hell to pay, I hope. Right. Yeah, hopefully the teachers continue to fight back against what is just asinine legislation from the state house not only that i just saw this morning rob sand the state auditor had shared an iowa public radio story about how half of iowa hospitals are no longer delivering babies so we talk a lot about on this show the teacher shortage attacks on teachers but it's also just women in general yeah whether it's reproductive rights the ability to have a child we're still kind of up in the air on what what the final legality of abortion will be in the state that's still going through the courts. And I'm sure a lot of college graduates who came here from Illinois, Minnesota, out of state somewhere, why would you stick around here? And especially the fact that, like they said, I mean, most often you're making that decision on a financial basis and that's not looking all that great either. No. Well, a lot of the hospitals have gone away from, um, babies having those units and delivering babies because the economics of it doesn't work. Right. And so if the economics don't work for bringing babies into the world, there's something wrong with the economics. It's not our small hospitals faults. It's the, yeah. it's insurance costs. It's all kind of, I boy, I just am getting more and more tired of insurance yes. stuff. We've talked about this before. But I went to some there was some kind of big Republican event in Des Moines and oh, it was the family leader event. It was a presidential kind of thing, and and there were protesters outside. And I, you know, and I, of course, I'm going to stop and talk to them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of them was this young woman just finishing nursing school, and she's going to get out of here as soon as she can. And she told me some of her classmates were too. You can't blame them. You know, she's probably 25, 26 years old, wanting to, you know, practice medicine in this state where. You know, reproductive rights are being undermined. Of course, you know, I understand completely. It's just sad. Well, and we just found out from a friend of ours that his wife is pregnant. And I was having a discussion with another friend about, you know, I'm 40 years old. My girlfriend is about to be 38 years old. We've been together for a long time and we have not tried to have a child. But if she were to get pregnant, I'm not sure if we would be able to keep it. First of all, she's a little bit older. She'll be 38 coming up here at the end of March. Her experience, she does have another child that Skylar is now 14 years old, and it was not, you know, the safest of pregnancies even back then. It was quite quite the thing to get through for her. So it's like, are we going to have to go out of state if by, and, you know, she's on birth control. We are, we are safe. It's not like we're 
you know, one of those people, Republicans, try to say, like, oh, you should be more careful and yada, yada, yada. If that happens, what do we do? And there's a million people in the right. state that have the same situation. It's not like we are, you know, baby killers. We have to make a decision based on the health of right. Jesse. Right. Absolutely. And so that's that's essentially, you know, 99.9% of all young couples. Right. I mean, that, you know, our Republican legislators are telling them to put their lives at risk. Yeah. And then to deliver a baby into a world where they're going to put them to work as soon as they possibly can. And then they'll probably end up dying in a meatpacking plant. <laughs> you wouldn't let your kid work in a meatpacking plant. Well, I wouldn't, but... Some people don't have that opportunity. Right. They need They need... The kids need to have jobs, and they've opened the doors. And what if the kid, I mean, obviously this is not the same situation, but what if the kid doesn't have parents in his life? Or that they're just sort of there, and they're pretty much making, I've known personally many kids that were pretty much on their own all the way through high school. And they didn't have a parent or parents that were there helping, guiding them through life. I mean, they might have lived at their parents' house, but it was pretty much just an open-door policy, you know? So, I mean, in terms of talking over decisions... Whether or not I should work here, go to college there, there isn't anybody that's helping them with those decisions. Yeah, I was talking with a friend the other day who actually listens to this oftentimes. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, the coming autocracy if Trump is elected again. And um, he was talking about, you know, what did he call it? A uh, corporate-tocracy, or, you know, it's driven by business, it's... It's the like a plutocracy. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's a good way to put it. The only person that the meat pa- the kids in the meatpacking plants help are the GABSs, the you know the different large meatpacking plants. It helps the corporation, doesn't help the kid. Right. It's all you know, and all these rules the Republicans are are making to help you know the corporations make money and Smithfield, and they sure have a problem with China with uh, people from China owning land, but they don't have. Problem with people from China owning the largest meatpacking plant in the country, right? So, but because people can make money with the with the Chinese there, right? So I don't know. It's well, that's led us right into this. So again, this is from KCCI. U.S. authorities have accused another sanitation company of illegally hiring at least two dozen children to clean dangerous meat processing facilities. The latest example of the illegal child labor that officials say is increasingly common. The Labor Department asked a federal judge for an injunction to halt the employment of minors by Tennessee-based Fayette Janitorial Services, LLC, saying it believes at least four children were still working at one Iowa slaughterhouse as of December 12th. U.S. law prohibits companies from employing people younger than 18 to work in meat processing plants because of the hazards involved. The Labor Department alleges that Fayette has used underage workers in hazardous conditions where animals are killed and rendered. The agency says children sanitize dangerous equipment, including head splitters, jaw pullers, and meat bandsaws. The latest findings add to a growing list of violations, including the fatal mangling of a 16-year-old working in a Mississippi poultry plant, the death of a 16-year-old after an accident at a sawmill in Wisconsin, and last year's report of more than 100 children illegally employed by Packers Sanitation Services, Inc., or PSSI, across 13 meatpacking plants. PSSI paid over $1.5 million in civil penalties. Yeah, they did. And you know what? Nobody went to jail. Well, yeah. I mean, $1.5 million. Exactly. That's just part of doing business. No big deal. They probably understand that, hey, this is illegal. 
if we get caught, this is the cost, but this is all the cost that we save by employing these younger workers at wages that we wouldn't be able to find adult workers. In. Yeah, it's a business decision that kids are going to die and be maimed. Right. It's a business decision. Sure, the executives might feel bad, but that's the way the world works. People get killed and die. and So they might care at some level, but they really don't care. It's a cost of doing business. They probably have it as a budget item. That's what I mean. I mean, this yeah. is thought out. This is yeah. planned. They know exactly what the fines are going to be for X amount of workers that are under X amount of age, and they plan for it. And I've discussed this with you before. I think that's the way you actually stop a lot of illegal immigration, if you're really serious about it, is make that $1.5 million $10.5 million, or whatever will put them in a position where it doesn't make financial sense to skirt the law and hire people that are either underage or illegally in the country. This has been the solution forever, but Republicans won't allow it. I mean, really, Democrats or Republicans, we've discussed this before, it doesn't seem like anybody actually wants to solve the problem. I think people need to go to jail. I mean... Well, that's what I mean, too. I mean, find them and lock up the CEO or whoever's in charge of hiring, etc. Wells Fargo, when they were putting, when they were stealing money from people, right. no one went to jail. They paid the fine. They opened up all different kinds of accounts that have charges associated with them without people's knowledge. That's fraud. That's robbery. Why aren't they in jail? Well, I mean, the answer to that question is because of money. Yeah. They have enough money to keep themselves out of jail. They'll never be in jail and we're wasting our breath. Right. But it should be different. It should be different. And that's the thing. If, if you're not going to lock people up or give them a fine that doesn't make financial sense for them, that they can't just budget through and say, okay, this makes financial sense for us, then you're going to limit a lot of those illegal hiring practices. They're going to be much more serious about checking IDs, checking birth certificates, and making sure that they're hiring legally. Put the onus, I mean, if illegal immigrants and children are working, the only way to get them to stop working is for the businesses not to hire them. If they're already here, doesn't it make a lot more sense to make it harder for them to get a job? Yeah. Again, if you're serious about stopping illegal immigration, you and I also know that those people are needed to do jobs. Our birth rate is not high enough to support all the different jobs, whether it's in a meatpacking plant or working at the drive-thru at the local fast food restaurant, or cleaning dishes, fixing cars, etc. All the things that illegal immigrants at least start doing when they first move to America. We need those jobs. We need those people. In the 1990s, I was working in Mexico for a lot of, you know, a lot of, for several years, eight years, maybe nine years. Uh, in the summers, and I, you know, and I would take the. I lived in New Mexico, and I sometimes I'd take the bus and uh, go back and forth from Mexico to New Mexico, and I got to know some of the border guys. And we would, you know, you get on the bus, and you'd see people stopping people, and they check fingerprints and check IDs and stuff. And and uh, I noticed a pattern that sometimes of year they wouldn't check anybody. And so one time I asked one of the border patrol guys that I, you know, had got to know over the years, I said, why do you do that? Why sometimes do you check everybody and sometimes you check nobody? Like nobody was checked today. And he said, oh, it's apple picking season in Washington. So we've got to let people through. So they had this informal thing and the orders came from, you know, from yeah, obviously the top. border patrol agent is not making yeah, this yeah. decision. So they would say, oh, let's let these many people in. And so it worked pretty darn well, it seems. Right. 
And then the people would go back and go back home when it was done. Well, the labor was there when needed. And so it was, it had to be an elaborate monitoring program to say who was needed where. Right. And so, yeah, because obviously, if, I mean, it's not like you cross the border and are immediately in Washington State. No. Like, they have to get up there to pick the apples, too. And I'm sure, well, hell, I mean, I've talked a couple times that my grandpa was a pastor in West Liberty for a long time. So he actually had a sermon, maybe I'll share it sometime, about the West Liberty packing plants and illegal immigration and how these plants go down to the border and bring people up. And then everybody, you know, says, oh, we've got this wave of illegal immigration. I mean, this sermon, by the way, was written back 40 years ago in the 1980s. And it's still the same situation today where the economic forces are forcing illegal immigration. And then the people in Washington, D.C. who are also in basically those companies are in the pocket of these Washington, D.C. politicians. But then they come out when they're in front of microphones and say, we've got to do something about this. Have you read... Trump's immigration, what he's going to do with the immigrants coming in, the illegal immigrants. I have not. It's very elaborate. It's very interesting. And it's going to involve huge tent cities. It's going to involve lots of money going to private industry to house people. It's going to be horrific conditions. And we've he's already said that, um, you know, these people are vermin and, and ruining our blood and, you know, Hitler speak. And so it's going to be this mass operation. And then it's not going to be, I mean, the local authorities aren't going to be able to handle it. So what's he going to do? He's going to, you know, somehow get our military involved. And when our military is involved, with, we know we don't like that with our military being involved, then the military is going to be everywhere. And he's talked about invoking the Insurrection Act. And he's already talked about coming about, you know, coming after, you know, people that oppose him. This is going to be four years of retribution with our armies on the street. And and Republicans have passed laws that allow you to hit a protester with your car. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are going to go on. And so once the excuse is uh, we need the military to, ha- to help with immigration, then the next thing, it's, just, it's a not very steep slope to um, policing us all. Right. Any kind of protest anywhere, coming after anybody. And you know he's going to do it. So it's, it's sort of this gateway. He's going to use immigration and you know, bringing the military up to enforce his will on everybody. Right. And speaking of his will, let's get into some cock talk. The South Carolina primary took place on Saturday. Wasn't much of a race. Donald Trump beat Nikki Haley 59.8% to 39.5%. Haley has said she'll stay in the race until Super Tuesday, which is a week from today as this is being released March 5th next Tuesday. So she will be in the race at least for another week, but for all intents and purposes, this thing is done. Donald Trump will be the nominee for the Republicans going up against likely Joe Biden once again. Yeah, and everybody's acting like it's a historic victory. No, it's not. 40% of Republicans in South Carolina wanted somebody else. Don't want the incumbent, basically, right. Right. which is unheard of. Right. 
Yeah. Can you imagine if Joe Biden, I mean, if Joe Biden had beaten whoever in the Democratic part primary in South Carolina, 60 to 40? Yeah. I mean, he, we probably already have a nominee lined up and, and right. the Democratic National Committee would be going crazy today. Yeah, I wrote about that for the Kansas City Star, everybody acting like this was a historic victory. And here in, uh, I went to Pellet for the Republican caucus, more people wanted somebody else right. than wanted Trump. Yep. It wasn't a historic victory. Right. And so, I don't know, I don't want to predict anything anymore, but it's not how a lot of the media is covering it. I will say, however, that the media has slowly acted like this, like starting in Iowa, they acted like it was a total blowout. They're recognizing now as we went through New Hampshire and now South Carolina that it isn't, you know, as big, it isn't a historic victory. It's a historic, it's not a loss, but it's a certain clue that he is vulnerable uh, to a lot of, you know, yeah, you know, minorities, younger people. Well, the Republicans are basically, I wouldn't say giving up the 2024 election because, God forbid, but it is a possibility that Trump could win in this election. But if they would have nominated Haley or DeSantis, they would have crushed Joe Biden, in my opinion. Haley especially. Yeah, Haley, absolutely. I mean, you've seen polls of her up against Joe Biden, especially the fact that she's a younger person in general and you and I, I don't think, really are that enthused about another race between two men that are either 80-plus or about to be 80 years old. No, but that's beside the point. It's, we can feel like that, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's about saving democracy. Sure. I mean, I'm excited to vote for Joe Biden because I'm a Democrat, but you, you, and, I are not the, you and I are not the typical voter, is my point. No, but you should be excited to vote for Joe Biden because you're an American, because you're a patriot, because you believe in democracy, and you don't want authoritarian rule. That's why everybody should be excited to vote for Joe Biden, because you want to save America. If we were to have somebody else before or besides Joe Biden, who do you think would be a good Democratic nominee? Oh, boy. Um, that's interesting. Um, I like Kamala Harris, but she's disliked by a lot of people. I don't think she would be a very good nominee. Well, I don't know. You know, it's just, I don't know. I really like Kamala Harris. I thought she'd be very good. And I don't know she hasn't been good because people don't, I mean, she's not reported on a lot. And so I think that we're getting some of the same, well, some of the, some of the, um, Here's the thing. Sorry to cut you off, but here's the thing. I think if she was a popular vice president who had done a lot and had some accomplishments to point at, Joe Biden would not be our nominee right now. They would have handed off. When Joe Biden ran, he said he was running for four years, that he was not going to run for reelection. So if they had somebody in their back pocket who was popular at all, I don't think Joe Biden would be the Democratic nominee right now. If he had a popular vice president, Let's say he had Gavin Newsom as the vice president or Pete Buttigieg was his running mate. Those two, I think, would already have taken the nomination and ran for the Democratic nomination for president. That's my speculation. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I'm just saying the reason why I asked is because I don't think there's a, a, a logical number one answer. I mean, normally you'd say the vice president, right? Right. But they do the, you know, but what they've done, they've given her the Hillary treatment. 
Yeah, they've and, given and, her the she's the border czar, which is the worst freaking job they yeah. could possibly give. Anybody. And she's black, and so right. she's getting that kind of treatment as well. Sure, so the stuff about her is absolutely totally racist and yes. misogynist, and and we don't really know who she is. Right, and so I mean, it's like what Barack Obama would say. What he would say when people would say. It doesn't bother you that they hate you so much? And you would say, they don't really know me. There's this sort of cut out, you know, caricature of me of me that Fox News and other conservative outlets portray. They don't really know me, so it doesn't bother me. Right. But they've done that same thing for her. But, he, I mean, here's the other thing, too. When you look at the last couple of Democratic presidents, Bill Clinton, his vice president, ran and won, by the way. Al Gore beat George W. Bush. And then... Barack Obama's vice president for eight years. Joe Biden, he didn't run right away, but he did better than Hillary Clinton did against Donald Trump. He actually won the election. So that is the pattern, is the vice president yeah, of the Democratic president the usually is the next nominee. And I just don't see that happening with Kamala Harris. I mean, you mentioned that there is, I mean, we live in a racist country, period. So Kamala Harris, being a black woman, doesn't have as good of a shot as a white man. Even if he's gay, I think. I think Pete Buttigieg, the fact that he won the Iowa caucuses tells you all you need to know about how much people really care about that stuff anymore, especially in, in the Democratic Party, of course. Well, and whoever it is, they're going to come up with some you know, characterization of them that makes a lot of people not like that. I don't know, a lot of people are talking about Josh Shapiro, Pennsylvania, yep. people talking about uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah. Gavin Newsom, I think, you know, he's really good. I just have a hard time with him since he, if you're going to impose a, you know, a lockdown of some sort and people shouldn't go party, you shouldn't have parties. Yeah, that I, is not a good look. Yeah. And so that kind of thing bothers me. Right. Um, that privilege bothers me. Yes. And so I wouldn't, you know, what kind of a leader would, I think that's going to haunt him. He might be great, but I will never Trust him. Right. And that's my point. I mean, thanks for proving my point in that. I mean, there's just not one person that's just sort of waiting there to take the baton. Tim Walls from... I was going to mention him, too. I mean, he's a very popular governor in a what's kind of become a swing state. It's not. It used to be the Democratic Socialist Republic of Minnesota. It's not quite that way anymore. But I think he's a guy that could get a lot of support. From from the general population too, not just people like you and me that pay very close attention to it. He's a likable guy. Yeah, I heard him speak at the Polk County Steak Fry last year. Yeah, he's a good speaker. Right. Yeah, he's sharp. He's an old teacher. Oh, is he really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. of course he's going to be a good public speaker and yeah. a likable person. Well, yeah, that's pretty interesting. So. Anyway, it looks like Trump versus Biden, and I mentioned this at the top. This is from CNN. Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel will officially step down from her position on March 8th, just a few days after Super Tuesday. Quoting her, I have decided to step aside at our spring training on March 8th in Houston to allow our nominee to select a chair of their choosing. The RNC has historically undergone change once we have a nominee, and it has always been my intention to honor that tradition. I remain committed to winning back the White House and electing Republicans up and down the ballot in November. 
That's what she said in a statement shared with CNN. CNN reported earlier this month that McDaniel offered to leave her position following the South Carolina primary. Her departure comes amid a period of rising tensions between former President Donald Trump, the GOP presidential frontrunner, and the RNC. Following McDaniel's offer to resign from her position, Trump endorsed North Carolina Republican Party Chairman Michael Watley to succeed her and backed his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, as co-chair. I mean, come on. I, and I don't know much about this Michael Watley guy, but I'm guessing he's an election denier. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the only prerequisite for being in the Trump circle is continuing to say that the 2020 election was stolen. I interviewed Laura Trump. Did you really? Yeah. I didn't know this. Or if I did, I forgot. What, was she just in town campaigning for, for she, the Don? Or well, what? She was at uh, the Holiday Inn on Fleur, and I thought, I'm just going to drive up there and yeah. see what this is all about. And it was very interesting. Um, what's her name? Mercedes, Sh- I don't know how to pronounce the last Schlapp. name. Schlapp. She was there, too, giving me the stink eye. Because <laughs> I was asking her some tough questions. She was staring at me like, who, who are you? <laughs> I understand. It was it was very bizarre, and they had all these really you know muscular guys standing around, all these bodybuilders, and it was a women for Trump thing. And right. the women were gaga over the guys. It was just this circus. There was a Lego, a giant Lego Trump. <laughs> it was it was good. She was weird. <laughs> She's a weird weird young woman. I've seen I've only ever seen TV interviews with her. She does seem weird and she must be married to Eric. Yeah. So, I mean, if she's er- married to Eric Trump, then she, there must be something a little off about her. Well, yeah, there's certain things I'd like to talk about, but I'm a gentleman, so I'm not going to. Good for you. So, this is just more consolidation of power. You mentioned that he has plans to remove anybody that's not a a Trumpy from the federal government, installing people that are quote unquote loyal to Donald Trump. And you know, I mean, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, I mean, there's all sorts of people that are going to be fired on day one. And he's going to bring in an FBI director that probably has no credentials whatsoever. But I mean, that's another important thing about hopefully Democrats, regardless of the presidential election, do well in Congress because. If Trump wins, we do need a majority in the Senate and House to stop him from doing everything that he wants to do. I love that he wants Laura Trump to be co-chair. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. She's already said that one of the one of the important things that um, the committee has to do is help Trump pay for his yeah. lawyer, lawyer fees. And so that means every dollar that goes into Trump won't go into a local race. Exactly. So yeah. it'll... Benefit the Democrats, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And See, so he's not interested in the party. He's not interested. He wants he's the money. Not, yeah, he wants the money. And he just appealed, I saw the news this morning, that he appeal, appealed that decision of the $450 more, $454 million judgment against you know the Trump Corporation. So we'll see how that goes. But, I mean, he's still facing all these cases. And that's the other thing that's just going to throw a loop into this entire campaign. He's going to be in trial throughout most of it. And he's turning the trial into his campaign stops, basically, trying to use this as, oh, they're out to get you vis-a-vis, they're trying to get me because they are scared of you. And that's sort of his message, that if they can do this to me, what can they do to you? And I see that all the time from Republicans. It's like, come on. They do it to us all the time. Exactly. (laughs) Like, you think the cops are going to, you know, take it easier on people if we let Trump get away with this? Yeah. 
the logic is there is no there logic. Isn't a logic. Anything else about Trump? <laughs> How about Biden? Is Biden going to win? Well, I hope so. I mean, I think so. I, mean, I think the independents have had enough. They just need to get out the vote. They just, you know, they need to be organized locally. They need to quit riding off red counties and they need great candidates and they need to train them and invest in them. They need to do something different than they've done in the past in rural America. And I hope they are, although I don't know what they're doing. I know what the Republicans are doing. I don't know what the Democrats are doing. We've discussed that many times where it yeah. does seem like a, a rudderless ship at this point, yeah. both at a local level for the state of Iowa, although it does seem like there are signs that at least they know the issues they have. It doesn't seem like they've taken a whole lot of action to correct those issues yet. But Rita Hart, I think, is at least on the same page as you and I in terms of we need to build out local organizations that will help candidates, identify candidates, and actually win local elections in counties where we've won before. I mean, Democrats have carried the state of Iowa before. We've had, an, I mean, most of my life, we had a Republican senator and a Democratic senator. We've had Democrat and Republican governors throughout my entire life going back and forth. The uh, Democrats in the legislature have been valiant. Yes, they they've have. Been, they've been really good. I know what they're doing. I just don't know what's going on with the organization. Right. And I've talked to Rita Hart about it, and she's told me some of the things that they're doing. I'm also talking with uh, candidates and potential candidates that have told me they aren't getting a lot of help. Right. And so I hope it happens. And there's some really good Democratic candidates out there. Also saw an interview with uh, Brett Baer of Fox News he did with Donald Trump. There's been a couple clips that have gone viral recently. One was, I'll mention this one first, Sean Hannity was asking about the confidential documents that they found at Mar-a-Lago and basically gave him a softball question, an out of, well, you wouldn't say, come bring, you know, bring me those documents that we took from the White House. And Donald Trump responded, well, I, I could, and yeah, I would. So here's Hannity trying to give a, a lending hand of yeah. saying, hey, let's try to sweep this under the rug and, you know, you wouldn't do that anyway. And Trump, of course, no, I would do that. Absolutely. And then secondly, Brett Baer was talking about how just telling Trump to his face, you lost the 2020 election. And Trump still continues to say, well, they were stuffing ballots and they weren't verifying the authenticity. They were just doing recounts and all this stuff. And Brett Baer continued to push back and say, no, they looked at all this stuff. Yeah, you lost. I, I saw and he's that. still continuing to talk about the 2020 election. And Brett Berry even said himself, he's like, do you think this is going to help with suburban moms that you're still talking about this? And then Donald Trump quickly kind of changes the subject. But yeah. So, I mean, but this is stuff Brett Berry's been doing for years. Exactly. I mean, I mean I'm not giving him any credit. Right. Trust me. I'm just saying that even Fox News is pushing back to his face and saying, to Fox News viewers, you did not win the election. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Again, not giving them credit, but right. at it's least some of the truth is getting out there to those viewers. I was at a event in Oskaloosa, you know, local legislators meeting, and uh, talked to a fellow there. I'm not going to say a friend. I've known him for a long time, but he's not a friend. He'll never be a friend. He's... Anyway... I, you know, I said, well, you know, you're not going to see... He, he didn't know something that everybody knows. 
Right. He didn't know. So he didn't. What he didn't he know? He didn't know that Trump had said uh, to, uh, to Mike Johnson to kill the border deal. He right. didn't know that. And this is a smart guy. And for him not to know that, I said, "Well, you didn't see that on Fox News." And he poo-pooed Fox News. I would never watch Fox News. Oh, he probably so watches Newsmax. Yeah. Yeah. Or, so I yeah. think a lot of these people have moved to that. That's embarrassing almost. And you said a smart guy. Yes. And it's just he's brainwashed. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. It doesn't give me much hope for democracy either. Well, not when you've got that complicit media. But we just have to fight back and, you know, with the truth. And it's it's just like this giant... You know, disaster movie where the monster or the you know is going through the city or the or the alien is ready to land, and then finally you know it's like uh, I think I've said this before, but it's like the the young woman that um, oh Katniss she <laughs> pulls back the bow and she shoots the arrow into the monster or the alien or whatever, and the, the tip of the arrow is truth. Ooh, I like it. So that's what we've got to we go need with. to fight back. So let's get into some uh, wider scope news. We, I particularly like talking about artificial intelligence and some of its dangers. I think you're probably more of a fan of AI than I am. I mean, you use it. Yeah. I try not to use it. This is from Hollywood Reporter. Over the past four years, Tyler Perry had been planning an $800 million expansion of his studio in Atlanta, which would have added 12 sound stages to the 330-acre property. Now, however, those ambitions are on hold thanks to the rapid developments he's seeing in the realm of artificial intelligence, including OpenAI's text-to-video model Sora, which debuted February 15th, and stunned observers with its cinematic video outputs. I'm quoting Tyler Perry now, being told that it can do all of these things is one thing, but actually seeing the capabilities, it was mind-blowing, he told an interviewer in The Hollywood Reporter on Thursday, noting that his productions might not have to travel to locations or build sets with the assistance of the technology. As a business owner, Perry sees the opportunity in these developments, but as an employer, fellow actor, and filmmaker, he also wants to raise the alarm. In an interview between Shoots Thursday, Perry explained his concerns about the technology's impact on labor and why he wants the industry to come together to tackle AI. Again, quoting Perry, there's got to be some sort of regulations in order to protect us. If not, I just don't see how we survive. And I'll say this real quickly. So protect us, protect myself. So this brings to mind the the salary cap in the NFL or any sport that has a salary cap. That's there to protect the owners from being morons, period. The salary cap is there to make sure that the owners don't overpay for one single player. Understood. So he is one of the biggest names in Hollywood, has his own production company, and he's like, we need regulations in place. Like, you're the one that should be in charge of these regulations if you're so worried about it. Like, he's a one, he's one of the few people in Hollywood, or I guess in Atlanta, that can make decisions on whether or not I, I Tyler Perry, am going to use AI. But now he says in an interview, we need regulations. 
to protect myself yeah. from making these Good decisions. Point. Yeah, it's like he doesn't... I understand. Basically, he wants to use it, but he doesn't want to say he wants to use mm-hmm. it. That's an interesting take. Yeah, he could just not use it. Correct. But he just sees how cheap it is. Exactly. And how effective it is. I saw a, a training video this morning on Instagram probably where it said, here, use this... Here, pick your avatar. You know, type out what you want. The, never do a training manual again or never do a, a, a in-person training again. And there here was this, you know, first you twist this, then you do this, you know. I'm, right. I'm your, and so you just script it. You could probably have it write the script. Right. But Yeah, yeah. just say, yeah, type in. Make a video of uh, showing how to change a spark plug. Right. Or, you know, whatever you want to do. And so there, this young woman avatar who I would have thought was real, you know, gave the introduction to this training video. And I wasn't there. You, I think you were there at the at our Knoxville chamber, had a lunch and learn, and I believe that was about using artificial yeah. intelligence to help your business. Yeah. And I'm and sure those were help. legitimate reasons, you know. It's, it's, right. Things that can actually help your business in many different ways. But it is one of those things that we, I feel like we just started talking about it, and it's already like, so far ahead of us yeah. that we can't even wrap our heads around it. Because now, I mean, this Sora, spelled S-O-R-A, if you're interested in learning more about it, like you said, you can just type in a prompt and it makes a cinematic quality video. Of, and so you don't need actors anymore. Right. And they just went through that strike. I mean, that whole strike that the actors and writers union were were striking for, that was pretty much all about the use of artificial intelligence because right. the CGI. studios, yeah, yeah, the studios wanted to fire half of them because why do I need to pay a writer when I can just myself say write a hour and a half long movie about Captain America? Well, I mean, the potential of this is if it's the big corporation that's going to do the same thing like the meatpacking plants do. Yeah, they're going to make the business decision. Right, they're going to do that, and there's going to be movies without any actors, and they're going to look real, and you right. know, maybe they'll have a few. People to train the you know the AI to how people move in this situation. No, they don't. There's enough data out there, and so what's we're going to have new movies starring like Clark Gable soon. <laughs> you know, we probably already have them. Probably now here's there. something else. Here's another way. Why do we need all those football players? Yeah, just let's just do CGI games, right? And you know, and somehow put in random elements so that you can still cheer and identify with your team, right? And you know, have you know. One in five passes miss. You could do it all probabilistically and not know the outcome. Well, and here's where it gets a little bit deeper because I was having this conversation with Trevor about how people from 100 years ago in 1924 would have no concept of what life is like in 2024. And we're just on the verge of another huge step. And most of the technological advances of humanity have taken place in those past 100 to 200 years, starting with the Industrial Revolution, bigger machines, and then we have vehicles, washing machines, computers, etc., which they did not have any time before that. So I can't even begin to fathom what life will be like in my own lifetime, let alone in 2124. We couldn't even begin to predict what might be happening on Earth. My first eight years of life was we had no running water. Right. We had an outhouse. Right. And a well out back. And that was normal life. Right. It was just, that's the way the world works. Now we have smart toilets. Right. 
It's yeah, could crazy. you have predicted that when you were, you yeah. know, taking a whiz at 7 a.m. at, you know, 12 below zero? No, the out, <laughs> outhouse was the norm. Right. I mean, it's just that's the way the world works. Right. But now it's this whole new, you know, where the only. So like, so like the old, so my old Asus laptop computer is like the outhouse of 2024, where like in yeah. a few years, this is going to be completely obsolete. Yeah. Nobody's even going to have a laptop. We're going to have chips in our brain. And we're just going to think things and, and not even have to talk to anybody anymore. We can just write a text with our brain, not have to type it into anything, and boom, off it goes. And well, that's, I'm talking, that's within, I mean, they've already started, you know, Neuralink, Elon Musk. They've already implanted it in a human being. Well, now, but see, there's no use for us. So then we're like Soylent Green. Yes. I mean, it's We'll just probably like, start, yeah. I mean, what can be up, there's jobs that can those be Those kids in the meatpacking yeah. plant are just going to become the meat. Yeah. I mean, there's certain jobs that you need humans to do, but there's not a lot of them. Right. There really isn't. No. I mean, look at all the jobs that we probably used to think were safe. I mean, can you imagine in 1960, even, you know, in your lifetime, that we would have pretty much a completely automated assembly line to build cars? I mean, I couldn't, I mean, it's still even hard for me, even though it's going on now, to imagine a shop where you don't see a human being creating a car from nothing to out the door to the dealership. And now it's like they might have two people working on it just to kind of scrub it out and make sure that everything works all right. Pretty menial. Not involving much of our brains. Well, and I grew up doing construction. We built houses. My dad had a little construction company. Yeah. Now they're 3D printing houses. Exactly. Or they build them, you know, we'll just have a house warehouse where it's just automated. I mean, like we already have modular homes, have had modular homes for a long time. But yeah, they'll 3D print it or build it in a warehouse and ship it off. And all they have to do is dig a foundation and sit it on. So, I mean, I guess I need to read some science fiction to know how we resist. Right. It's been a while since I've read. I mean, I read the science fiction of, you know, when I was a kid which is still old science fiction. I mean, like Brave New World and Fahrenheit 451 and those kinds of things that were written, again, 100 years ago, basically, or 50 years ago, at least now. So, yeah, yeah I'm not really up to date on new science fiction, so that might so, be... So, I mean, no, I guess what I'll look to... I'll, I'll read uh, Edward Abbey's The Monkey Wrench Gang again. Okay. That's what we're going to have to be, is saboteurs. Yeah, that's, Screw that's up the their, their robots and, and AI. And I think there already is stuff like that going on. I mean, we've already seen a lot of people trying to fight back against open AI by messing with its code or messing, you know, asking questions that uh, don't give back the right answer on purpose. You know, people just trying to screw with AI. And over the weekend, I even saw a few tweets from people that were saying that it had basically lost its mind and was giving back answers to prompts that were just completely divergent, didn't make any sense. Yeah, we've got to undermine it. So that is but the, one way to fight back. They'll make it harsh penalties for undermining the corporation. Oh, exactly. I mean, if you're messing with their money, they are going to lock you up. Man, we're so far over our heads, Spencer. I know. Uh, let's bring it back down to earth. Top five worst athletes as people. Plus, I need to get you out of here because you're going to go see Marionette Miller-Meeks this afternoon. She's in Pella, right? Yeah. Any idea I've, what she's discussing or just a general kind of legislative recap? It's a general session? legislative thing. But yeah. the 
I've got some emails. Some Democrats are organizing to be over there to oh, cool. do what they're going to do. That's going to be interesting to see at the Ernst thing. There were a couple of Democratic friends in the audience, but they didn't say anything. It was just all Republicans telling her what a great job she's doing. Of course. Uh, great articles recently. You've been a busy man with your deep Midwest politics and culture. Make sure you subscribe to that on Substack. More writing coming because, as you mentioned, you were at Ernst over the weekend going to Marionette Miller Meeks today. So I'm sure we'll get some recaps and some thoughts on what they discussed during their uh, town hall meetings. Uh, but let's get into top five worst athletes okay. as people. Number five, Brett Favre. I think he's got to be number one. Just wait. I mean, he's awful. I mean, stealing welfare money from the poorest state in the country, Mississippi, is very, very low. But it's not as low as it can get. I don't know. And also sending dick pics to a reporter that's trying to report on you. I mean, there's just all sorts of bad, gross stories about Brett Favre. And, yeah, with this welfare thing, stealing money from the state is, it's pretty low. He needs to go to jail. I hope he does. I don't think he will because, again, he's got tons of money. Number four is Lance Armstrong. I remember Lance Armstrong. Oh, and he did the doping stuff. I forget all the nasty stuff he did. I, I don't even know what, so, what it was. So I actually just watched, I watched several documentaries about Lance Armstrong, and I just watched the movie that was starring Ben Foster that was a dramatization of his reign as the Tour de France winner, and then also him, and throughout his Tour de France wins, he was blood doping. So taking EPO, which is a way to get more oxygen to your blood. So when he, you know, when all the other racers were starting to crap out towards the end of these mountain stages in the Tour de France, he miraculously just continues to climb, and it's just this live strong, and I can push past anything. I'm a cancer survivor, and he used all of that stuff as a cover to mask what he was actually doing in the background, which was absolute 100% just cheating all over the place and not only did he cheat that's one thing but he would sue degrade anything possible to ruin the lives of anybody that came out and said that he was cheating whether it was former teammates journalists etc he ruined the lives of many 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 people trying to cover up his own cheating you know, and he still he still seems like a narcissistic asshole in the fact that he didn't even he still doesn't even really seem sorry about it. Like I think in his mind, everybody was cheating. Victim. Well, everybody was cheating, and there was a lot of cheating during that time. So to him, it was sort of like the baseball scandal of the late '90s, early 2000s, where it's like, how are you supposed to blame Barry Bonds when he's watching Mark McGuire break all of these records and thinking I'm a better player than Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa? I'm going to start doing it too. So there is sort of that gray area of whether or not it was right or wrong but he took it to such an extent and ruined so many lives that he earns a place on my top five worst people understood number three is aaron hernandez aaron hernandez played at the university of miami he was also a pro bowl tight end for the new england patriots and also a murderer oh yeah i'm and domestic Abuser. I don't think domestic no. abuse necessarily. He, I mean, he's a murderer, so I guess I wouldn't put that past him, but he was never convicted of it. But he was convicted of uh, double murder and then was suspected, and there was another trial that was set to begin on a third murder that he was kind of always suspected of doing, and he hung himself in prison, committed suicide. Yeah, I remember that. 
So yeah, awful, awful person. Number two is Darren Sharper. Another guy, I don't know if you would be familiar with Darren Sharper. Never heard of him. Awful, awful person. So he was another all-pro. He was a defensive back, played most of his career with the New Orleans Saints. But he was convicted and sent to prison for being a serial rapist. He would drug women, some as young as 16 years old, and sexually assault them. That's horrible. And he only got 18 years in prison. I mean, that's a guy that should, I mean, you should spend the rest of your life in prison. I believe, like I said, he was, he did this repeatedly, but I think he was convicted of six different sexual assaults with six, or at least doing it to six women and only got, I mean, so that's basically three years per charge. I mean, he needs to be yeah, locked up yeah. for the rest of his life. And I actually read a pretty in-depth story about him and, and how he did it. It was obviously hard to stomach. Um, so yeah, another guy that certainly one of the worst, worst people, not only athlete, but worst people of all time. Number one, OJ Simpson. Well, I've heard of O.J. Simpson. So you said Brett Favre should be number one. I mean, there's some murderers and rapists on this list. And right, but I, I don't know. I forget about what O.J. People murder people out of acts of passion and then regret it, maybe. I don't know. I could, the planning. If there's a, a planning into a murder, then that's a different kind of thing. You know, raping a whole bunch of people involved, especially in young people, that's a lot. That's a mastermind of evil. Yes. I'm not sure OJ is a mastermind of evil. But, I mean, he was also a a wife abuser. I mean, he did abuse his wife. I mean, so it's not like it was just one night where things got out of hand and he made a rash decision. He was already abusive towards her. And this, I mean, eventually her death, it seems like it was meant to be almost, whether they stayed together or... Obviously, she had left him. And the other thing is, too, that Ron Goldman that died with her, he was just a random guy. He was just returning her, like, purse or whatever. You know, he had just worked at the restaurant. They hard, I mean, they knew each other just from, you know, being at the restaurant. But he ended up killing a guy that had nothing to do with anything. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to bad. discuss the, the degree of differences between the top five. I think we can just agree that that's a pretty good top five, right? That's a great top five. The Brett Favre, maybe I'm so pissed at him because maybe it, because it's still happening. Yes. Yeah, he hasn't gotten any punishment for yeah. it yet. So maybe once that's doled out, you can make a better assessment of how evil he may be. Right. Yeah, different degrees of sexual assault and murder. They have to be, yeah, I guess. By the way, this was kind of a tough list to get down to five. It seemed like the best people was a little bit easier than it was. Because the other thing is, too, bad things get reported. Good things very rarely get get reported. So there's a, I mean, obviously the vast majority of professional athletes are everyday people like you and me. I mean, they may make mistakes. They may be great people. They may be less than average people but you don't get to hear about the guy that's you know donating all of his time to charity or donating money etc you'll kind of hear that if you're a fan of a team but that's not something that gets reported on espn whereas if you commit a murder or commit a sexual assault that's the lead story on cnn Uh, you know what i mean it's just the worst people are a little bit easier to pick out it's a great list spencer and (laughs) i guess i my inclination is to do my research, 
But if I acted like I knew people that on that list I didn't know, I, I would feel like I was not, you know, being honest with our listeners. Well, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people that probably, I mean, if you're not a sports fan necessarily, you wouldn't know who. I mean, I think Brett Favre, Lance Armstrong, and O.J. Simpson yeah. transcend sport. Yeah. But Darren Sharper and Aaron Hernandez, I think, are a little bit, you probably would have to be a little bit more a fan of NFL football to know their name or their story. Well, and if you think about it, and as horrific this is, their crimes are more common. Yeah. And so maybe that's why I don't know that all that stuff is going on around all the Just time. sort of gets mixed in with the rest yeah. of gross humanity. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do for Top 5 next week. Um, our friend Nathan suggested, um, oh, Top 5 National Parks or Destinations or something like that. That would be... That would be a good one, but I don't know if I'd be the one to put together the list because I haven't been to, you know, I would just probably put in whatever the National Geographic has as their top five. Like, yeah. I, I personally wouldn't be able to put together a list like that. Oh, I've got I've got a list, but every, yeah, I don't know. Let's find something that, that you want to do. All right. I'll think of something. We'll surprise them. Sounds good. Anything else you want to talk about? No, just thanks. Yeah. Get you on to Marionette Miller Meeks, and uh, we are a day early this week because even over the past couple of weeks, my job has had a little bit different schedule. So hopefully, we're back to recording on Tuesday afternoons, releasing on Wednesday morning. But uh, I guess coming to you a day early at least this week. So make sure you again subscribe to Deep Midwest Politics and Culture, uh, Dr. Bob's Substack. He also has. Uh, Cedar Creek Note, uh, Nature Notes, which is just taking a walk in the woods with Dr. Bob. You can also follow that on Instagram. And of course, follow us as well. So you can get this email in your, or this podcast in your email each morning it's released. So Dr. Bob, thanks as always. We'll see you again next week. Absolutely.